Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Wilson. I'm joined by my two esteemed colleagues, Richard Fay and Samuel Luckhurst. And Samuel, we were out last night having a few drinks for the, the Christmas do. How are you feeling this morning? My, my voice is quite hoarse because I had to talk very loudly in the uh, in the venue. It was it was nothing to do with uh, drinking too much. So uh, I, I'm you know I hope, hopefully believe, people believe me. But it was it was obviously it was it was good to see the the two of you uh, in person as always, and, and and not necessarily in the press box as well. Definitely. And Rich, I said to you just before, my head, my head might be a little bit sore. It's not too bad. I've rested up. I'll have my water and I'm back on the ball. So how are you feeling this morning? Yeah, I might channel Jose Mourinho and say I prefer not to speak on that one <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I was on the 7 a.m. shift this morning as well. And yeah, let me tell you, that was a grueler in the uh, in the words of bootlegger, the Wrexham legend. But yeah, I'm happy to be on the podcast and looking forward to the end of the World Cup as well this weekend. Someone has to do the 7 a.m. Rich, and that responsibility fell to you this morning, sadly, didn't it? Um, Samuel, obviously, we'll reflect on the week's United news. Uh, there's not been too much to digest, but we've still got lots to talk about. Um, we'll start with your kind of conversation with Ten Hag in Spain last week. You were kind of talked to me last night and you said he was in personable form when you sat down with him. Um, but he also talked about the takeover and the possibility of more investment should the Glazers sell the club. So what were your takeaways from that chat and obviously your impression of Ten Hag? I know you talked about it earlier in the week, but if you could just talk about that again, please. Uh, on the, the the situation with the Glazers, he said uh, he's, he's I asked him if he'd ever actually met them. And he said he had when they came over here, but um, he, he didn't specify which ones. I, I don't think Joel Glazer would have been one of those uh, siblings because he's he's not been over here in about four years. But obviously, I think it was Avram and, and, and Edward Glazer might have been the ones who were for the Brighton game. So you'd imagine it was those two. He doesn't speak to them very often. He, he mainly speaks to regarding um, high-level matters like possible takeover uh, with with Richard Arnold, which is understandable. Arnold's the, the the man the Glazers have delegated to to be at the coalface to pretty much oversee those those operations, which was obviously what Edward Wood did before him. And he and, and Ten Hag said regarding the the well the probable investment or takeover, whatever it might be, he said it, it will be it will be good for the club. Um, he said that he stressed the the importance of obviously having that investment to compete. Obviously, in, in the summer, United did spend a lot of money. When when he used the word investment, I think when a manager says investment, people automatically think they're talking about transfers and, and signings. But that's not necessarily the case uh, regarding this situation with United, because of course, if you're talking about investment, you talk about the, the stadium or in, in Ten Hag's case, he spends most of his time working at, at the training ground and, and, and that's possibly as important, if not more important to him in terms of how, how he goes about his job and, and his working week. Uh, the, the word from the club on, on the back of those quotes, just some added context, was that they feel as though there is zero chance of investment coming in in time for January, uh, the transfer window, obviously, which isn't a surprise at all. I mean, I don't think anybody was expecting a, a quick sale of United or the Glazers to settle on uh, a new partner if it comes to that at all. So talk of a massive spending spree in January. Um, I've, I've seen people, the odd person discussing it this week, which I was, having been in the room with Ten Hag and heard his answer, uh, was was a bit of a surprise. And, and also given that the investment United had in the summer with Two hundred twenty-five million pounds, I think it was, on, on on players, and what what Murta said in September about the investment next year not going not 
not been similar to this year because they feel as though that they're a bit further ahead down further down the line in terms of the squad rebuild. So I mean it was it was it was a decent response that we got from Ten Hag and it, it moved on to um some other matters as well. Uh, obviously Luke Edwards who was in the room asked about Newcastle and he didn't use the, he didn't use the words the threat of Newcastle but obviously Newcastle come into the conversation now because of their position in the league the the season they've had so far and and the financial backing they have and you can't you can't ignore them um I think that then if not going to be necessarily here to stay in the top four they're certainly going to be uh in in the the, the top half of the table on a far more consistent basis and in seasons to come now and, and they have bought very well and they've had some very impressive results and obviously they as I said they're, they're someone you can't ignore um but it was yeah it, it, there was nothing really inflammatory or um box office from from, from that section of, of our chat with with Ten Hag but it was still good to be in that position to actually ask him about it given that he, he hadn't he hadn't spoken about it or addressed it before that's a nice little segue into my next question, Rich, because I was going to talk about Ten Hag talking about Newcastle, obviously. And you mentioned West Ham as well as kind of two teams who are now looking to push up the table and, and putting a bit of pressure on those sides in the European places. And the pie seems to get be getting thinner, doesn't it? And in that regard, it kind of makes sense for the Glazers to sell now, doesn't it? It really is the perfect circumstances for them to sell the club. Yeah, I mean, I can't see when they would ever get more money than they would do now, really, for... For United, particularly the fact that the European Super League is is dead in the water, you know that was something that they actively pushed for, and you don't have that carrot and that sort of lucrative pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that they can hold out for and then sell. So obviously, there's going to be the Champions League reform, which should work in United's favour, sort of backing the more historically successful sides, which you know is just a disgrace still to sporting integrity. So that is a reason maybe to stick around for a bit longer, but. Yeah, in terms of what the the Glazers can now milk from United, you know, from their leverage buyout and the fact they were even able to buy the club in the first place is an absolute disgrace. The fact they'll be making billions of pounds of profit off it as well is is another one. But from their point of view, they almost have milked it for all all they can really. I mean, United have been so unsuccessful on the pitch because of their negligence, and they've still gonna make a huge sum of money from it. So you, you do see the the counter argument of why would they invest loads of money in buying new players when that you know the main goal for them now is to get as much as possible. But as we saw this week, you know, Avram Glazer did sort of warn again that they're going through the process and a full sale isn't guaranteed. I mean, we all understand that to be the preference, but there's so much up in the air still about United's takeover and the fact that all the valuations we keep on hearing from the from the sort of business side of things, very few people actually would want to buy them for that amount of money. I think United still are overinflated in terms of a a brand to be purchasing. Obviously, there's a huge opportunity there for them to grow even more, particularly if they get successful on the pitch. But given how much they have to invest in the playing side, the infrastructure, Old Trafford, the training ground, you know, it will be really difficult for for someone to maybe meet those demands and still get value for money from their their point of view. So. Yeah, it's it is an interesting one though, as you said mentioned there, having Newcastle and West Ham. And I guess what is so good about the Premier League is that every season there does seem to also be one team who flirts with the top four for the for the entire campaign. And you have these articles, usually this time of year, saying, Can Southampton, can Sheffield United, can they, you know, can they go on and get into the Champions League? And they inevitably always seem to sort of fall short. But you know, I I guess on the flip side of that is United 
have still got this huge commercial wealth and value despite not reaching their targets. And, you know, Edward Wood's famous quotes of what happens on the pitch doesn't really affect how they operate as a club is still true. I think that they obviously are changing. There's been enough key infrastructure change above at United and the hierarchy's had enough movement that they are becoming more aligned from, from top to bottom. But while the Glazers are still in charge, it's it's not going to be what happens on the pitch that matters. And the Glazers will be aware that Wrexham are coming, won't they, Rich? Well, I, you know, I mean, at least we've got owners who come to the games and who are very <laughs> intertwined with the community, are backing the stadium rebuild. Um, and I follow you on Twitter, of course. It's, yeah, it's definitely exactly. a the fame, isn't yeah. it? Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds, yeah. But yeah, I mean, really? it, that is the antithesis. I mean, for me, I just feel like so lucky and maybe maybe not always, also in a very privileged position to say this is what owners should be like because Wrexham have the fairy tale owners. They've got the best owners in football, I think. Um, but And there's no ulterior motive there as well for two Hollywood stars. I mean, what do they gain from trying to milk a club and, and rinse it? But from United's point of view, you still question who would actually buy them. And I guess the age-old question is, do fans really want, you know, dirty money coming to the club? I don't think. I don't. I think there's a backbone who don't. But I've seen on social media there's lots who would welcome state ownership as well, which is a, a moral conundrum, really. You'd think things can only get better after the Glazers leave the club, but as you've just said, it's not that simple, is it? As in who kind of takes over the reins and where that money comes from. There's obviously morality issues that we've addressed on the podcast. Um, Samuel, if we move on from that kind of conversation and go into the first team a bit. Um, there was an update on Jaden Sancho this week, um, who was obviously absent from that trip to Spain. Um, could you discuss that a bit, really, and, and kind of explain what Ten Hag said about Sancho? Because club staff have been impressed with the way he's handled the situation, haven't they? They have. That, that was probably the most interesting section of it, in that he, he did go into quite a lot of detail about it. And it, it was... You could interpret it as, as as pretty damning as well. When his first words on Sancho, when he was he was brought up, were he's not fit enough to be here. And you know, when when you look at that on face value, you're talking about a nearly a seventy three million pound footballer who's been at Manchester United for for nearly eighteen months now. Uh, who's played for England, played at European Championship, been at Manchester City and their academy, played for Borussia Dortmund. It's I think he's 23 now, Sancho. So to have that comment um, put on him is, as I said, it's easy to see it as damning. I think with the context of when going to the start of the year when Sancho was having a, a, a tricky period and wasn't playing particularly well. And I remember when he came on against Villa at Villa Park when United were 2-0 up and they, they threw it away and ended up drawing 2-2. And his cameo was, was dreadful. But then a few days later it emerged that his, his aunt had passed away and he missed a couple of games um, for, for compassionate leave. So when you weigh up those things, and sometimes we're not always aware of these things that are going on in players' lives, you have to, you know, you have to always factor in that context. And I suppose Sancho's activity on, or lack of, lack of activity now on social media, specifically his Instagram page, uh, would possibly suggest there is a little bit more to it. And, and Ten Hag did speak about him not being mentally ready as well. So he's he's not in training at Carrington this week. Um, I'm not I'm not sure if he's still in the Netherlands. I think that would have been, what, three or four weeks there with those coaches. That's a hell of a long time to be doing 
individual work and as you saw with Ronaldo in the summer although it's a bit different with Ronaldo because of his age but just working on your own individually there comes a point where you need to be reintegrated back into team training and and doing the basics and you know playing competitive or pretty competitive training matches so that you're going to be ready to to get back into the team the way it's going I don't think anybody's really expecting Sancho to start again this year. United have got three games. He's certainly not going to play against Burnley next week. The World Cup players who went out in the quarterfinals, they're all going to be back next week. The only players left at the World Cup are two centre-backs. So all the forwards are going to be back, um, possibly all be available for that Burnley game as well next week. So already, even though he's he might, might have seen this period of doing individual training as get ahead of the curve there's a very real danger for him that he's going to be behind the curve now unless he's back in training next week I, if he's not back in training next week it's it's going to be topical again it's going to be well why isn't he back yet and when do you expect him back and ten Hag didn't want to put a time frame on anything when we spoke to him in spain which was uh which was a week ago now he's he's, he's had dialogue with with sancho and and as I said, people at United have been impressed with with how he's handled it. Ten Hag's been quite proactive. He's like, "What do you need? What do you want?" Um, their discussions, they settled up. They agreed that individual training was best. Ten Hag recommended these coaches in the Netherlands. Sancho's gone out there, but as I said, that there comes a point where you've got to go back into that far more competitive and intense environment of playing with your teammates, uh, working on patterns of play. Uh, Ten Hag, it was interesting what he said last week about one of the friendlies, which, again, kind of highlighted why they were not just meaningless, but maybe a bit of a waste of time. They they had no routines, he said, because you, you've got a mishmash of players. You're playing a team that is literally never, ever going to play together again as well. So it's not particularly uh, beneficial for preparing for games. It's just giving them some minutes. It's it's all about fitness. Uh, whereas in pre-season, as Ten Hag showed with his selections and the continuity of them, he was gearing them up for the first game of the season. And he still last week, he was referencing injuries to Lindelof and, and Martial just before that first game against Brighton because the stability that he'd built up in pre-season was starting to crumble and in the end they started against Brighton without without a striker there, Christian Eriksen playing up front. And, you know, again, going back to Sancho, uh, you have, he's, he's a really, I think from the outside, it's easy to look at him and see he's a bit flash, he's got the tattoos, um, too much, too young, etc, etc. But for those of us who have spent a very, very small, seemingly to some insignificant amount of time, he comes across really well. Uh, I know I've said before about how he behaved in the mix zone at Leicester and, and Ty was nearer to him because he was actually speaking to him. I was observing, waiting for, for Ten Hag to come to the press conference room. But he was very, very personable, very polite. Uh, people at the club say he's a good kid. Um, I think the, one of the phrases that we use, was used to me that he, he takes a bit of time. It takes a bit of time for you to gain his trust. But once you do, he's he's really good. And if you engage him on a subject that he's interested in, he, he will open up as well. So he's he's not like another player at the club who people don't have a good word to say about. He's someone that everybody is really, you know, willing to do well and willing to get back to the level that he's 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 shown before for United. And he and he did that in February and March. He played very well during that six week period. He had a decent start to this season. His contributions were vital. 
unfortunately, since that, I mean, it was the derby, wasn't it, really? And that's going back to October the 2nd. He's just looked completely shot. And even in the best performance in five and a half years against Tottenham, he got an assist that night, but he was he was clearly the weakest player in the team. United were absolutely on fire that evening, but Sancho was was rather ineffectual by and large. So there's you know this is a really critical period for him because he's he's got to get back into the team at some point. But also the competition there is really intense. It's it's a lopsided attack as we all know still because of the amount of right-footed Forge United have got and almost all of those right-footed forwards they're at their best playing from from the left and, and Sancho is one of them and, and Garnacho has, has really has, has done United a favour that he's come in and he's um, offset you know, Sancho's lack of form if you like and given them another option up front so Ten, Ten Hag was you know he, I, I thought his answer on on the whole situation surrounding Sancho was was very balanced, uh, quite encouraging, but also there was a firmness to it that he's, you know, he's got to get back to that level because United want to create a culture again where they they don't want wait for anyone. Rich, you know me; I'm a very positive person. I like to look at the bright side of things. Um, Sancho, as Samuel just said, he still is young. He, you know, he's, he's got a vast talent. We saw that at Dortmund. Um, into the new year, you know, different. Different year, different person when he comes back. He's still new got year, time. New me, is that what you're saying? Exactly. Hashtag New Year, New Sancho. You know, he's still got time to come back and really deliver on his promise, can't he? Because we all know what he can do. He's just not really shown it yet, United, has he? No, and you only have to go back to first win of the season, that Liverpool game. He scores a, a really good goal. You yeah. know, he dummies the, the first touch, waits for the defence to slide in and calmly slots it into the, the bottom corner. I think that, you know, like Samuel said there, there's a wider picture at play here. He's obviously arrived for a huge amount of money. He was, you know, everyone knew he was United's top target for about 18 months before he joined the club. The man who signs you is sacked after a poor start to the season. You're signed to be the right winger. You get moved to the left wing. Anthony arrives. That's, you know, a kick in the teeth that you aren't the, the first choice right winger anymore. He's played under three sort of long-term managers at United already. All different styles, all different approaches. Um, you know, they've all maybe wanted him and, and thought he's a good player, but you've got to adapt to, to your new surroundings. And it's not really been the, the structured environment where he flourished before at Dortmund. You know, he was he was brilliant there because he knew his role. The team was set up in a very particular way, tactically very well drilled as well. And at United, he hasn't really had that till, till this season. You've got to remember as well that the summer he joins, he's had the European Championship fallout as well, which is, you know, enormous for him to take um, really difficult as well for him to, to comprehend. So there's a lot at play. And then another aspect of it all for Sancho as well is because he's an England international who's been at Watford in City, he's viewed as already being sort of adapted to the Premier League, but he'd never played in the Premier League before he moved there. So he should have been treated like any other sort of foreign signing coming into to the, the English top flight. Whereas I don't think he got the same sort of slack cut for him there. I think lots of people are saying, well, he plays for England. He, he grew up in this system, so he should hit the ground running. But it's a completely different, you know, kettle of fish than playing it in Germany. So, like you said, it, it would be way too early to, to write him off. But obviously, he needs a, a kick at the backside, really. If he wants to reclaim his place, he's going to have to beat a resurgent Rashford and overtake Garnacho, who is everyone's favourite player at the moment. The fans absolutely love him. So, you know, a challenge there for, for Sancho, but it might suit him that he's going to go under the radar a little bit now because he, 
while Samuel says like if he doesn't return to train next week, that is a big story. But if he's not in the United starting lineup, no one really bats an eyelid anymore. So you know he can go under the radar, focus on himself, get that fire in his belly again. If there's any other sort of personal issues that he needs to resolve, hopefully he can get those sort of taken care of and then come back resurgent, like like you said. And I think that you know, as as we mentioned, the view from United is that Ten Hag has has handled it very well at this moment, and I think it's a real test of his man management. It's a really delicate situation, but if he can get Sancho firing again, then that, that's an even bigger win for the manager. And, and like we said, uh, it's too early to write Sancho off yet. We've seen how good he is on his day. There's a reason that attracted him for so long. There's a reason they spent so much money on him. It's down to him to, to deliver. I don't want to go all football and hipster, but obviously I did watch Sancho quite a bit in the Bundesliga. Um, and he no, definitely of course had he a did. Lot more... <laughs> well, go, go back and look at my old tweets, Rich. But he had a lot more time on the ball, and I think the pace of the division in the Bundesliga it suited him a lot more. Um, so yeah. hopefully he can adapt to the Premier League because I think you're right; he's still not probably adapted uh, to the top flight yet. Uh, Samuel, if I ask you about Dallo then, because you wrote the line about him today, that's another positive. Um, basically, that he's returned to Carrington. Um, obviously, the players who exited the quarter-final stage of the World Cup were are due in on Monday, but. Dallas returned today. We are recording on Friday, and it's fantastic to see, isn't it? Because he is really an excellent pro. Yeah, I was I was fishing for a different line actually this morning when I um, was asking a question, but then I got that, and I thought that's actually better than the one I was uh, I was after. So uh, it's it's not a surprise with him. He's he's that diligent that someone at United told me that when they uh, fly to places, he wears those. Uh, I don't know what they're called, but those muscle strap things that you pull on your leg to, to, to ease your air travel. Um, you know, because obviously sometimes people get issues with, with lethargy on flying and everything, but he does that as part of his that's that's part of his routine now. And until the last week against Morocco, he hadn't he hadn't been injured in, in more than two years. So uh, he's he's doing a hell of a lot of things right. He's had a very good year. Uh, it's it's positive for United as as well that he's of that mindset to get back to get to get assessed as quickly as possible. He's he's had a sufficient break in in his eyes. He had a he had a good World Cup as well, even though he came into the the Portugal team quite late on. But he ousted Cancelo, which is is no mean feat, and and that was something that a lot of people in Portugal were calling for at the start of the World Cup. But at least for those two to be accommodated, but. They they certainly wanted Dallo starting, whoever the, um, the the left back was going to be, and I suppose the advantage for United is that that injury has happened early enough that there's a decent recovery period until the Forest game on the 27th of of December. I don't think he's really going to be in contention, even if he is fit to play against Burnley. But having said that, he's he started in all but one game this season. He only missed that through suspension. I think if he was in a fit enough state to play, I don't think Ten Hag would necessarily hesitate starting him, uh, which would be quite quite the turnaround, given that he'd have played in a World Cup game, a World Cup quarterfinal, no less, um, 10 days earlier. But whether it comes to that, or 11 days earlier, I think it might be. Uh, but I still think it's probably going to be Wan-Bissaka or, or Williams. You, you've got, there's more of a case for starting Malassia because he, he's, he didn't play for, um, for the Netherlands and he really could do with getting up to speed quite quite quickly. And United can't take Burnley too lightly as well. They're, they're top of the championship and they've only lost two games this season. But but Dallow's diligence is is, is nothing um, nothing surprising whatsoever. I mean, the, the thing that United have got to do, obviously, is to get him tied down on a on a long term contract. You look at 
Barcelona's interest in him. You look at the other clubs who've been interested in him in the last 18 months since since that loan spell at AC Milan. Uh, United have, have have got a very very good asset there at the at the moment, and they you know it's, it's at a point now where he he should be remunerated for for his work over the last year. If we stick with some youngsters then, uh, Rich, or well, not stick with youngsters because Darren Gallo's not that young, he's he's 23. Um, but if we move on to Cobby Mayne and Reese Bennett, I used to always Samuel used to have a go at me because I used to call Andreas Pereira a youngster when he was like 23, 24. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I think have a go is is is, is, is <laughs> yeah, no, you, you pointed out to me, you pointed out to me that he was uh, he wasn't young anymore. And I get, yeah, we, we had this discussion this week as well, didn't we? And last week when we spoke about when Dijon Bernard didn't come for United, he's 22 now. He's sort of 22 is the car players. for me. That's the car for me. 22 is the car. Yeah. That's still but lots of these boy. players do sort of creep up on you and they get to a certain age. You think, oh, you're still here. Like, you yeah. aren't young anymore. You yeah. need to be playing regular football. But, but go on. <laughs> no, I was just asking about Manu and Bennett, who obviously won the Youth Cup last season, the train with the first team this week. Um, both have been impressive in the academy this season, as you know. Um, and it's amazing. Manu's just 17 years old, isn't it, when you watch him? He's fantastic. Um, it, could you see either of them make their debuts perhaps later in the season? And could they be involved on the bench? I think Burnley next week. I think that might happen. Yeah, certainly. I think they they will be the next two who who make their senior debuts for United. Definitely. I mean, Maynu is highly thought of by by Ten Hag, trained with the first team a lot. He was a a new sub in that Newcastle game, wasn't he? Um, was that yeah. November or, or late October? October. Um, October. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, he he is on the radar very much. Again, it's interesting that they, they weren't looked at really in pre-season. It was Savage and Iqbal, but it shows how quickly the sort of seasons change that it is now May. You know, he is the the player who United fans are getting excited about the most. He is really highly rated by by everyone at United, really. There has been some loan interest in him ahead of the January window, but I think it's still way too early for him to to go out, really. I think he just needs to be carefully nurtured at United. But you know, in a in a sort of month where we've been talking about how great Jude Bellingham is, he was, you know, he was playing championship football at sixteen. He was moving to Dortmund at seventeen. So Maynu being seventeen, it's the old adage that that you know if you're good enough, you are old enough. And there's going to come a point where you know United maybe do just give him a chance. I mean, central midfield, they don't have too many problems. You know, there are always solutions there, but they are still over-reliant on a deep-line playmaker like Ericsson. And when he's not playing, there is a real drop-off in quality. I think in Iqbal and Mainu, you've got two very different players, but you've got two players who have those similar traits. So I think that there's going to come a point where one of Iqbal or Mainu needs to be properly integrated and get some more meaningful minutes, playing some sort of proper games that, that actually matter towards the end of the season. And then next summer, loan one of them out and keep the other one, is, is what I'd suggest. Bennett... It's difficult, isn't it? Because Maguire, club captain, will have to play. Lindelof, Ten Hag really likes. Ten Hag's spoken about him being a left-sided centre-back as well. You know, someone who can fill in for, for Martinez when needed. But they all drop down the pecking order when Varane and Martinez return, you know, towards the end of the year. Mengi's injury, you know, last week, that, that gave Bennett the chance. And he, he did really impress considering his age. And he was brilliant. He was a player who I hadn't really taken any notice of before the Youth Cup final. And he did put in sort of a typical captain's performance, like a Bruce or Robson display where he scores the goal, he rallies the troops, really vocal, good at commanding the line. I think Tyler Fredrickson had been brought into the lineup at the last minute because of an injury. And, you know, they, the defence was still well drilled and kept their cool under a, a, a number of opportunities against them. So, yeah, I think they're both 
really good, but it, we've seen this so many times before with promising youngsters. They just need time, be nurtured carefully, try control the hype a bit, but it would certainly be a real boost and a nice sort of news line as well to see them both on the bench next week. And if things are going well, bring one of them on. You just made a shiver there, Rich, when you said Steve Bruce to that name. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> fantastic player, fantastic player, and what a career you had. Um, but manager, no, I believe I it was beat, beat, beat Tottenham. Sorry, not Tottenham. Oh, yes, here it he was comes beat again. Tottenham United <laughs> and Chelsea in, in one season with Newcastle. Uh, you, Sammy, you, you can't, you cannot, you've just got to get over it. You, you know, Alan Shearer <laughs> was a worse Newcastle manager than Steve Bruce. That's him. He, he should have been Randy to place with, according to you, I reckon. It should have been Brucey at, at Old Trafford in the job. He pitched Michael's chest that last season, didn't he? The, the king yeah. of the worst takes on Manchester United suggested Steve Bruce as stopgap manager. Jesus. Um, before we end the podcast, Sam, I wanted to ask you about Ahmed because he's um, been playing in the championship. He's been fantastic. He scored five goals in seven games for Sunderland. At one point, I mean, I, I kind of did a tweet, I think it was 10 weeks ago, that it's starting to look a bit of a waste of money. Um, for him and I think he kind of saw that tweet and he's responding by really delivering in the championship now he's making a mockery of me he knew you were a Newcastle fan he thought <laughs> the best way to ram it down his throat is, is to start scoring it is yeah I mean it, I, I thought that was a strange loan when it was announced because you think the championship very physical league uh, someone at United was telling me when the loanies last season came back um, four or five kilos heavier and you think well it's that's likely to be a championship player just because of, as I say, how physical it is and the, um, the, the the players that you're bound to encounter at that level and you go out quite raw and you come back more, more bulked up or, you know, it's, you, you've, you've, it really does separate the, the boys from the men and that's why United want their youngsters to, to go there and, and to thrive. And look, it's, it's normally when a when there's a change of manager, the the loney suffers there. But with Ahmad, it's the other way around. Since Alex Neil um, defected to Stoke, I think in in late August, Mowbray Tony Mowbray has come in, and although it's taken a while, he's he's been in. I mean, the goal scoring form is is terrific. Five goals in seven games, as you say. And Mowbray, in fairness, I mean, some people might think, well, I mean, I'm old enough to remember him when he played for Ipswich as a centre back, and you don't necessarily think, well. He's the ideal manager to to handle a flair player, but Mowbray oversaw some very good enterprise in football football insides in in the Championship with West Brom when they got promoted, I think in two thousand eight or two thousand nine to the Premier League, and, and more recently Blackburn. So it's turned out to, that he's actually quite a good fit for Ahmad. And from United's perspective, they they always thought if he had a significant run of games, I think it was a run of ten games, he could show what what he's capable of and. So far, it's seven starts and he's got five goals. So that's pretty good going. He's played for Sunderland more often than, than any other club. Uh, United, Atalanta, Rangers. Uh, this this is him in his, you know, not, not comfort zone necessarily, but it's certainly, you know, the most consistent run of games that he's, that he's ever had. I think he's only played nine times for United and only a handful of them would have been as a starter as well. The Rangers loan, just, yeah. That was a disaster in the end. It started well with a, a goal in his debut, but then 45 minutes at Barkhead was was enough for, for Giovanni van Bronckhorst and he, he never started in the league again for them. I suppose from United's perspective now, if if he gets to a level where they feel he's good enough to go back into the squad or that Ten Hag would have him in the squad, great, because they do need a left footer, I think, to, to balance out that attack to, uh, 
to offer decent support for Anthony when he's not missing. You've seen where Anthony's missed the last five games. Rashford, Fernandez, and Langer have all played there. None of them have really particularly played well there. If anything, Fernandez is the one who who, who thrived the most, and you'd be you you'd be overdoing it to say that he thrived. But I think he you know he certainly had contributions from there. He didn't allow himself to um, uh, to 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 have his impact um, harmed at all. He, he still had the odd decent role. But if, if if it doesn't work out and Ten Hag just doesn't doesn't want him, then at least they've got his value back up. And if they do cash in at some point in the near future, they're likely to be more takers than there were in the summer. Because obviously when you go to Scotland and you don't have a, a particularly good loan, um, you, you, you're going to be a difficult sell. Uh, last question, Rich. I wanted to talk about another winger. Um, Facundo Palestri, who it's Burnley next week in the League Cup. He's been at the club for over 800 days, I think it is. I wrote on a piece over two years now. <laughs> Could we finally see a debut next week, do you reckon, off the bench? I mean, we've said this for every single game, haven't we? Um, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like for the last 10 games, I've, we, one of us has done an opinion saying United yeah. could unleash Palestri. I mean... I mean, I, the other side of me says that like, if he would have been given his chance, surely he would have been given it by now. Um, it's it's such a difficult one to say. I mean, it's obvious that he doesn't really have a long-term future at United, I don't think. So is there even any point? I mean, from my point of view, I always want to see someone at least given a chance. And in Palestri's case, what annoys me the most, even as a neutral, is I don't actually know how good he is because I've just not been able to see him. I've seen him in youth games for United. I've watched him on TV for Uruguay sporadically. But... There's, I've, I still don't know quite what he's about or what he offers. I've not been able to, to watch it enough. When he was at Alaves, had one great loan spell and a poor loan spell. He, he doesn't seem to maybe be... I mean, he's obviously not at United standard yet, but there's a reason Uruguay have, have put so much faith in him and he's getting rave reviews from South American journalists. So there, there has to be something there and maybe not a start, but again, he's someone I, I at least want to see. And for him as well, you know, he's he's been... From all accounts, very professional throughout his time at the club. He's not kicked up a fuss when he has every right to, really, and say, you bought me, at least play me. He's got on with it. At least give him that run out at Old Trafford. Give him that chance. Let him have that United shirt that he's worn in a proper game. And when I've seen him in pre-season, was it Derby last year? And then was it Liverpool in pre-season this summer? He yeah, scored yeah, goals. Yeah. Like, scored in them. He, he's, he's looked good. And that's what, for me, is so annoying, you know, Fair enough, play him and he's not good enough, get rid. No complaints then, but at least give him the chance in the first place. And I think United fans would be really disappointed if he left having never played a competitive game for the club. Do you know what's amazing? You could have been talking about Donny van der Beek last year with that whole, you know what I mean? What have, what have yeah, you maybe, just said? Maybe next you... week's podcast will just bleep out Palestri's name and put van der Beek in there. And, uh... <laughs> it's happening again, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for your time, Samuel. Today. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, Rich. Thank you very much. And a quick note to the listeners before we jump off, we've now launched a YouTube channel. So you get to see our beautiful faces, uh, fortunately for you, on your TV. So head across there, subscribe, like, uh, comment, and keep listening. Thank you very much. Take care.